All right, Pittsburgh, this is the Death Star here, and you are listening to MMA FanCast. Tune in. Welcome to MMA FanCast. My name is Luke, and today I am cho- joined by CFFC flyweight champion Alberto Trujillo. Trujillo. There you go. Welcome, Alberto. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's great to have you on. If people aren't aware, CFFC is Cage Fury Fighting Championships, and it's a big-time East Coast, East Coast of the United States, uh, Philly, New Jersey uh, promotion sends a lot of people to the UFC, is on UFC Fight Pass if people don't know. So what's it like being their champion? You became their champion just a couple months ago in October. So let's jump in there. What's it like being the CFFC flyweight champion? I mean, it's just, just another fighter for them, you know, with the belt. That's pretty much the way I look at it. Okay. Uh, and the reason I see it that way is because it's not the big belt yet. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's just something that is helping me, me helping me move forward, right. like getting sponsorships and getting noticed. But I try not to let that get to my head too much. Sure, absolutely. You got to reserve some of that excitement for some of the bigger belts uh, that await. Oh, now, you, you live and reside in California, and so – you traveled the entire way across the United States to fight for CFFC. What was it like uh, with that travel mentality? Is that something you expect to continue on as you grow, you know, fighting all around the world, wherever they tell you to fight? Or is that something that was a little bit strange for you to be so far uh, from California? No. So I'm originally from Arkansas. Okay. And I was in the Navy. So I was used to taking flights to like Chicago. I flew from Chicago actually all the way to Hawaii. So I've been on flights before. So I'm okay with the traveling. I guess what threw me off a little bit or like got me excited is because I am from a small town and then flying over Philadelphia and seeing all the lights like, oh man, you're here to fight their champ. You know, that kind of got me excited. So I like that. It was okay. Well, thank you first for your service to the country. Um, and I think anytime you can visit, whether it be as Navy or as a, as a fan, I guess they don't call them fan, uh, visitor to Hawaii. How was it in Hawaii? How long did you spend in Hawaii? I was there for three years and it was good. I got some really good jiu-jitsu training at uh, O2. It's a host in Gracie Academy. And then, uh, yeah, and then when I wasn't training, I was working most of the time, which was a lot of work because I was in the service. So I was going out to sea doing stuff. Sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm sure you stayed busy. I know, according to your record, that you uh, started your amateur MMA career in 2015, it then turned pro in 2017. Uh, you mentioned when you were flying into uh, Philly, that you were there to fight the champ, and I noticed that he was undefeated prior to you. What was it like coming in to fight the champ for CFFC and then getting a stoppage win by punches late in round two against a guy that had previously been undefeated at five and out? That was amazing. Like I don't, I don't know how to describe the Philly to you. You know, it's just insane. Like inside, I felt really good. Uh, you can see after. Uh, the stoppage, I'm just like, uh, yelling, like, I wanted to, I don't know, just keep yelling, but I'm like, all right, you got to relax, bro. You know, you're on TV, and then I know I had, like, kids watching me from uh, the gym that I teach at, so I was like, all right, try to calm down. It was just, it was crazy, you know? 
I think that is something that really um, is exciting for fans that watch MMA, how emotional fighters are after they win, whether it be yelling, whether it be uh, Habib, um, you know, falling down and crying because his father had passed away. You know, all the different emotions that come out after wins and losses, I think are one of the things that you don't always see in some of the other sports because fighting is so one-on-one, it's so emotional for the fighters. Talk a little bit about your gym. You said you train uh, kids at a gym. What's it like being a coach? Uh, what gym is that? And how's that been going for you? Okay. So I train at Alliance, but I teach at uh, Bonita Martial Arts Academy here in San Diego. This is literally right down the road from where I live. Uh, working with kids, it's been, uh, it was a little frustrating at first because it was kind of hard to get their attention and how to relate with them, how to get them to do stuff, and how to get them to do it the right way. So that's a little frustrating at first, but I'm starting to get a little better at it, I like to think. Uh, and it's always good to see them grow. So you have a really shy kid show up the first day, they're crying, they don't want to get on the mat, they don't want or they get tapped and they start crying from that. Uh, and then a couple weeks, months, or even years later, you start seeing them coming in there, leading the class, uh, helping other kids. Uh, you know, it's satisfying. And then uh, I learned a lot from them, from trying to teach them. So now I got to break my techniques down to a really basic and simple way to teach them. So I've been learning a lot from them as well. And as you're talking about learning because you're teaching a developmental, what's it like to as you said, what's it like to relearn the the basics in your own life? So when you're teaching a seven year old how to throw a jab, you start you start kind of learning from that process for yourself. So what have you seen in that? I know you just said you have been learning from that. What was surprising about learning from teaching kids? So I guess before I thought. I knew what a jab really was. I really thought I knew what it was until I had to explain it to a seven-year-old or a five-year-old. I was like, wow, I really have no idea. So I had to go back to the books. I had to go back to my coaches and back and uh, actually take some time and study like the mechanics and like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? How should I be doing it? Uh, so if, if anything, it made me go back and restudy the stuff that I thought I already knew and touch upon things like that. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a thing. That's a theme that comes up a lot with professional fighters is professional fighters tend to be pretty athletic people, yourself included, you know, pick up things quickly, maybe don't think about it all the time, the techniques and, and they get to a point in the career, they start teaching kids and realize because most five or seven year olds, uh, don't transfer weight well, don't know how to step, you know, they don't understand the basics. And so you end up relearning, which is really great. What is your favorite skill to teach a five or a seven-year-old, whether it be striking or grappling, takedowns, jiu-jitsu, what's your favorite skill that you just are excited to teach a new kid? My favorite technique. I never really thought about it until just now. I'm going to say the double leg takedown. Okay. Just seeing, just showing the kid how to take somebody from their standing all the way down and then landing on top, I think is really good. And you can kind of see it in the kid's eyes like, oh, wow, I did that. Especially when they do it for the first time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Thanks for sharing that. I'm glad you could kind of reflect back on like what is the most exciting skill <clears throat> to learn. And a takedown obviously is 
so valuable in MMA, in, in a self-defense situation, in wrestling, and all of those things. Which So, yeah, it makes sense that that would be something exciting uh, to see a, a child learn. For you, since we just mentioned wrestling, for you, you are in your professional career. You're 5 and one You have a long amateur undefeated career, and you have decision wins and stoppage wins uh, knockout wins and submission wins. And you're what I like to call that definition of that well-rounded fighter that's going to win wherever the fight takes you. What was it like to get to that type of fighter that can win decision, stand up, striking, submission? And was it challenging to get well-rounded or was it something that came pretty easy to you? So I started out with, if you go through my career until now, this was my first TKO. Okay. So either before I was either winning by submission or decision, I can mm. say. So just now recently, I was able to strike more, I think, in my last fight just because of the height. Mm. Usually what happens is uh, I get uh, matched up against taller opponents. So it's a little harder for me to strike where it's not as smart for me to strike. Like I use my striking to set up the shot so I can take them down, close that distance, keep them down and keep it in my game plan. Um, what was the question? Again? I'm sorry. Well, I guess you're following it very well. So what was it like to continue to develop? Like in this case, you got an opponent who was your height so you could strike with him. What was it like to be well, well-rounded as a mixed martial artist? What is it like? Uh, it's just, it's been, uh, so yes, it's been a struggle, mm-hmm. right? Because I was so uh, reliant on my grappling skills, mm-hmm. uh, trying to hold people down and work from there. Uh, it took me a little bit of time to get more used to the boxing and the striking with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then now I guess I'm a little happier where I'm at. Obviously, I'm not satisfied. Like, I'm still looking forward to the next challenge here coming up, uh, improving my skills, grappling too. You know, obviously, you got black belts, world champions, and I don't feel like I'm at that level yet. So there's this gap that I got to close in my grappling and my boxing, my striking, everything. So I look forward Absolutely. to it. Well, that's the humility that keeps you learning, champ, and keeps you wanting to go forward. Now, as a 125-pound champ, flyweight champion, speed is literally – it's dominating every weight division, but it's probably most known at, <laughs> at flyweight. What, what is it like um, to train speed in the sense of uh, to continue to try to work faster and faster in what you do from takedowns to setups because of how fast everybody is at your weight division? So what was the question exactly? What was it like to train speed? What do you do to, to work on speed for you? Is, do you do specific speed drills? Um, do you work, uh, some people might sprint hills or do uh, some high, uh, some hand-eye coordination stuff. I don't, you know, like dodge balls or catch balls. I've seen a lot of different drills, particularly at the lighter weights to get faster mechanics. Okay. Uh, so I do a lot of ladder drills that I learned there at Alliance from one of my coach, uh, coaches uh, there. So I do a lot of ladder drills. Um, and then for speed, let's see, I'll do shadow boxing with uh, weights, uh, two to three pounds. Uh, I'll do sprints, uphill sprints. It's a version that uh, Dominic Cruz, okay. Dominic Cruz uses. And I think he got him from like a, I'm not sure if it was a marathon runner or a triathlon okay. athlete, but he got that uh, that routine, routine. Uh, from them to peak. And then that's what I do for like sprints wise. 
let's see, and just a lot of rope, you know, and then whenever I'm shadow boxing, just make sure it goes quick, you know, get the technique down right. Once you feel like you got a flow, a good uh, good sense of the technique, just start doing it quick, faster. Absolutely. I mean, I thank you. I know that question might have seemed a little strange, but I think it's always valuable for people that may not understand all that goes into I think a lot of people and you're far removed from this as a professional champion but a lot of people still think all you have to do is punch a heavy bag and they don't understand that there's so much more training you mentioned you mentioned Dominic Cruz and kind of some of the uh, techniques he uses and in training that way you're also training the cardio conditioning I don't know this so I'll just ask you is this a three five minute is this three round five minute fight or is it a five five for Oh, it's a four, four. five-minute round, okay. and if at the end of the fourth round, it's uh, even, right? Mm -hmm. Where this the judges decide that two for him, two for me, then we'll go to a fifth round. That is really cool. Have you? Is that what they always do? Is that what your uh, first fight for them was? Still a, a four, five-minute. Yep. The the first one was like that, and so it's this one. Ooh. Are you still there? I am still here. Yep, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. We're going. Okay. That is actually really cool. I'm glad they do that. Did they explain why they do that? Or is that just something they do? I think it's kind of a smart thing. So uh, you can go 25 minutes if you need it. But if you're cruising to a victory, you don't need the extra five minutes. It's kind of nice. Yeah, they, they didn't tell me why. I didn't bother asking. I figured oh, yeah. if uh, if it's up, if it's split in half like that, uh, I probably did something wrong anyway. So I should go to the fifth round anyway, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good, I think that can be a good mindset, particularly because um, in the in the fight uh, setup that you just described, that's that's the rare time where the fighters are told what the scorecards are and are given an opportunity to do something about it, only in a tie. But the reason why I say that is because so many times, particularly in split decision wins or losses, or in any decision really, you see a fighter that is completely uh, confused as to why the fight went against them. And that's something that I think gets a little bit taken away if you have that bonus round where at least, even if you think you were up, um, you at least now know, okay, well, this is what it's, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, now, now you said that you're doing something wrong if it's a tight fight, you know, if it's a close fight. Um, is that kind of a mindset you have that you want to kind of be, uh, be winning every minute you can, every round you can? You're not the type of person that wants to kind of have to uh, – have to battle back. Oh, ba uh, battle back, like me battle back or him battle back. I, I mean, you battle back, like you're down two rounds um, in the fight. I mean, obviously it can happen, but it sounds like you have the mindset to try to get ahead um, and just stay ahead. Yeah, I, I try to get ahead and stay ahead. Obviously, that's not always what happens, right? But I'm prepared for that too. Yeah, um, yeah just you know. Whatever, four rounds, five rounds, I really don't care. I The way I see it, too, I feel like if it goes five rounds, I got a better cardio than most people, uh, most mm -hmm. fighters. So it'll be a better thing for me anyway. Sure, absolutely. And you have to train for that regardless. So it, yeah. at one point, that's what people say when they get quick knockouts or quick submissions in the first round. You still ought to put all the training in. Maybe the fighting was a little bit easier, but yeah. the training is still for a full fight. Now, your opponent is fighting out of Ray Longo's camp up there in uh, New York, New Jersey area, and that's kind of a well-known gym. Um, and so you're from well-known gym on the West Coast versus East Coast. Um, at this point in, career, in your career, do you ever pay attention to what gym 
somebody's fighting out of because obviously it's a well-known gym or do you focus more on the opponent? I mean, I'm not trying to offend anybody uh, or any of that stuff. I, what happened was when I was an amateur, I looked up one of my opponents and I saw that he went to the Olympics. Mm. Right. Mm. And then I remember I kept playing him in my head. I would wake up in the middle of the night, like at two, three o'clock in the morning. And I would like walk around my room. I would start shadow boxing because I was thinking of how this guy is going to take me down hold me down and he's gonna steal the fight from me and they come fight day uh he took me down once and then uh that was it after that uh i think it was in the second or third round i forgot which round it was i put him to sleep mm. right <clears throat> so ever since that fight uh i felt like you could have been more relaxed for this fight just do what you have to do obviously right do the cardio do the training make sure you're paying attention to the coaches and stuff like that but just relax a little more. You don't have to put all this pressure on you. And ever since that fight, I really, I'll look at my opponents to see like what they might excel in. Like, all right, he's really good at this. And then, but that's it. So I haven't even looked him up. I've looked at it as like one of his fights. And then all I know, other, other, the other stuff that I know about him is that he fought the same day I fought okay. uh, on March or oh. October 31st. Yeah, that's 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 it. That's all I know. Well, it sounds like this is something that's really great to see that you've learned um, a mental like you've learned something that works for you mentally, which is to focus more on relaxation, to understand um, that your opponent on paper can have all of these skills and all of these backgrounds. The Olympics is the Olympics is a um, impressive stat line for sure. I mean, it is, but as a professional fighter, now you're going to fight people with impressive stats. And sometimes you might even fight fighters that don't really have impressive stats, but they can be dangerous as well. You know, yeah. um, I, I'm thinking, you know, like, uh, I was thinking of Gamebred game Masvidal. He's a street fighter. I mean, that's what he was known for. And yet he has excelled at the UFC level. And I don't think he has, no offense to him, but I don't think he has the paper credentials of some of the other fighters in the UFC that have the All-American status or have won Olympic gold medals and things like that. So you bring up a good point. Now, you also mentioned that you learned that in your amateur career. And I know you're removed from that, but what were some of the main things you learned from what was a long undefeated amateur career, because a lot of times people only look at the pro record, which is what matters, which is what counts. But I think a lot of things are learned both physically, technical, and also mentally in amateur. So what were your biggest takeaways from your amateur career? Um, how to cut weight. Okay. How to make the weight. Yeah. That, that was the main one, right? Cause when I first started, um, I didn't know how that worked. I'll be honest. I didn't know how any of that worked. I didn't know you had to talk to your coach. I didn't know you could talk to your teammates. I didn't know any of that stuff. I thought it was just something you did on your own. So I did it on my own the first couple fights. And then um, after that, I went to a boxing tournament. And then I was hanging out with uh, some of the fighters, and they were teaching me the ways. Of, you're supposed to drink this much water and water load and cut carbs and salt. I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. So uh, after that, uh, these last weight cuts, I don't, I don't have to cut weight. Mm. I just chill in the hotel, waiting for the weigh-ins, and then uh, wake up, weigh in, and then uh, eat a little bit, drink a little bit, and then next day is fight day. And then the other thing, uh, I mean, 
that's pretty much it. I mean, the amateur, I mean, yeah, that's really what I learned. Everything else, I mean, I already know I had to do, like, you know, grind, work, train, hard, all that stuff. Like, I already knew to do that, how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, well, I think that's one of the reasons why you have the record and uh, the skill level that you do have. I, I have been around and seen amateur MMA is valuable for fighters that might not be grinding or are at the work level. You know, sometimes not to hate on people that smoke, but sometimes fighters will still have bad habits like smoking or drinking or some other discipline issues that can really, um, that can really sideline a, a career or at least cause a problem. So it sounds like you already had the discipline and, and the focus and the skill needed. I do want to encourage anybody who's an amateur fighter, who's kind of on a losing streak or challenging and doesn't have an uh, undefeated career like you do at amateur level, that, that the amateur level is the time to get that figured out, get the weight cut figured out, get the diet, the training, the exercise, maybe some of the lifestyle choices that come into it. Clearly, you already had that stuff down. I've known some amateur fighters that aren't doing a, a strength and conditioning program that don't. They just think, well, I, I, I get in shape by fighting, you know, as opposed to doing a strength and conditioning. So there's a lot that people can learn. And thank you for sharing what you learned uh, from that. Now, obviously, you're in fight camp. You're about a month out. Um, and so not giving any details, not giving anything away. Um, what do you kind of, what do you kind of look forward to the most um, in fight camp? I know a lot of times um, they're a grind, they suck. You're doing two a days, you're working a ton. You, you got all this stuff, but what is the most rewarding or exciting part of being in a full fight camp like you are right now? Just uh, overcoming uh, the challenges, you know, uh, this whole COVID thing has a lot of the gym shut down. So training hasn't been the same. Uh, let's see, you know, just stuff like that. Just overcoming challenges. Um, maybe at the beginning of camp, I was getting to my, my coach 10 times. At the end of this camp, I only get submitted six times, you know, yeah. stuff like that. that. That's what I look forward to, really. And then just reaching peak performance, you know, because it feels really good. Yeah. Um, getting my abs ready, getting my body ready, my face, you know, everything. That's what I look forward to, really. Sure, absolutely. It's one of the things that I think um, having a set date, you know, you'll be fighting March 11th, allows um, MMA fighters to peak their performance because um, a lot of what you do early in camp, you're beat down, you're not at peak, you're you're working a lot of different muscle groups. You're doing a lot of different things and being around athletes. It's hard sometimes, like you just mentioned, getting tapped by your coach. It's mentally hard for some athletes to have a, we'll say a rough day or have a, a, a not optimal day in training before they character realize. Building day. What? A character building day. Character building day. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Before they recognize that one of the reasons why you're having a character building day is because humility it goes a long way in learning, but also you don't want to be peaking every training. If you felt your absolute best every training, then something's wrong because you have to have days where you're, yeah, exactly. So that's a big part. Now, you had mentioned um, that one of the things about um, fighting for CFFC is that it increases a little bit of what people know about you, see about you, uh, your your sponsors and things like that. So who do you need to thank as far as your train your trainers, your coaches, your gym, your sponsors? Because something that goes unnoticed a lot is that regional fighters, even fighters that are on the cusp of going to Bellator 
or UFC need a lot of help and support to get there. It's not a, a one-person thing. Even though it's a one-person sport, you have a big support behind you. And I always want to give people the opportunity to kind of give shout-outs to who's in their corner, literally, and also figuratively as far as support goes. Okay. Uh, obviously, starting with my coaches, Coach Eric Del Ferro and Coach Eric Uresk, right? Uh Coach Eric Ferro gets a game plan together. He tells me, hey, this is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This uh, for this, et cetera. Uh, Coach Eric Oresk is more like the, hey, you better show up to training tomorrow, even if your leg is broken type guy, right? So uh -huh. he keeps me a check. Uh, <clears throat> also want to thank my girlfriend, Tina Pettigrew. Uh, she takes care of me with the uh, meal preps. She cooks for me, uh, you know. Stuff that I probably wouldn't be cooking if I was the cook, right? She has greens and vegetables and fruits that I don't, I've never seen before. She puts that into my diet. That helps me uh, perform. Mm -hmm. uh, for teammates, uh, Dominic Cruz, he, uh, he's been helping us a lot. Uh, like I said, because of the whole COVID thing, uh, we were off work for a little bit. Work wasn't going as well, mm -hmm. so we weren't making as much money. And uh, Dominic Cruz was helping us with meals, yeah. right? Uh, I think he has like a meal, meal sponsor or something like that. And instead of eating it himself, he was giving it to us. Wow. So he was helping us that way. Uh, OJ or Orlando Jimenez, he's been helping me a lot with my wrestling. Uh, he went to college, you know. Uh, I didn't have that. Like, I didn't wrestle in high school or any of that stuff. I didn't have any of that, yeah. right? So it's pretty cool to have him around, teach me some of his tricks. Uh, Wilson Hayes, he's like my main training partner, right? Uh, he pushes me, I push him, and then we just get better from that. Uh, my mom and dad, obviously, they, they help me out. Even to this day, they still help me out. They'll send me like 50 bucks, 100 bucks every now and then to help me cover for medicals or stuff like that, you know? Uh, and then uh, sponsors, uh, Genesis Recovery, they helped me out last time. A lot. Uh, I was able to fly out with my girlfriend, mm. right? And then not only to watch the fight, well, she didn't. She wasn't at the arena watching the fight, but the fact that she was at the hotel, she was able to cook for me and my coaches, right? So we weren't going out wasting money, and we were having uh, good, healthy meals, right? So we were able to stay uh, uh, healthy, you know, good nutri nutrition, and then. Uh, Casa de Coronado, they sponsored me as well. Uh, Fight Rope, which is uh, Orlando Jimenez's uh, company. Uh, he's got some jump ropes out there. So if anybody's looking for a jump rope, they're about like 10, 15 bucks. You know, go ahead and uh, look for them. Again, that's Fight Rope. And then I got a few more people, but right now I can't think. Uh, it's been, I, I, I've had a long day because I woke up early to go do my sprints. And then I've been around the house cleaning and stuff. So I can't really think right now. I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, obviously. And uh, I, I think anybody would understand if you forgot to, to thank them. That's a long list of thank yous for me. It's always valuable to, to recognize how important the behind the scenes people are. You mentioned your girlfriend and how valuable meal prep is and how valuable getting food is. Now, obviously, Dominic Cruz is one of the most uh, well-regarded, lighter 
fighters, you know, as the former um, 135-pound champ in the UFC and WEC. Um, clearly, you have a lot of respect for him. You have a lot of, you know, he took care of you guys, which is great. But what what do you think you've learned the most as far as the professional side of being a fighter from a guy who I think we can call a legend as far as what he's done, who he is. And if people don't know this about Dominic Cruz, his injuries have been some of the worst that anyone's ever suffered in a career. It took him away from belts, you know. And so as far as dealing with challenges and dealing with potential injuries yourself and being around a guy like Dominic Cruz, who's come back from things that nobody should ever come back from. What's it, what's it like to have been able to train and learn with him? What is it like? Uh, I mean, like I said, I come from a small town. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, like, in order for me to learn, I had to go to YouTube mm. and look up videos to learn that way. And then when I was growing up, I would be like, please, God, please, 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 you know, just give me to a gym somehow. Mm -hmm. And then uh, now, I'm, you know, what, 28, about to be 29. And I'm out here training with people like Dominic Cruz. I got people like Jeremy Steven at the gym. Like, it's just... It's like a dream come true to me. That well, that is, that is a really great answer. It also goes to the importance of, uh, of learning off YouTube when you have to. You know, I think sometimes when you're from a small town, there's not the support you need in your area. Learning any way you can is valuable. Certainly having a good camp around you, having professionals around you is important. But I think for a lot of people, if you wait for the situation to be perfect, it'll never be perfect. You know, mm. you have to make the situation right for you, whether it was you training when you were uh, stationed in Hawaii or any of the other things you're doing, like you said right now, you got to wake up early to do running. It's, it's never going to come to you. You have to go to it, which is what I think can be so hard about uh, – a one-on-one -on -one sport like fighting. A lot of football uh, players tend to have the attitude that they're forced to do things with their team. You know, football, nothing against football. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. But the reality is that a lot of football athletes come from the mindset that their coaches kind of tell them everything what to do. Whereas in fighting, you have to do a lot of the stuff that works for you. You know, you have to follow your coaches, but you do a lot more independent things than like a team sport. So um, I do want to thank you for coming on the show. I know that, uh, you've got a lot going on, and so I can't wait to uh, watch you fight. It'll be on UFC Fight Pass, correct? Yeah, UFC Fight Pass. UFC Fight Pass. It'll be CFFC 92. They're doing back-to-back -back fights, 92 and yep. 93. Uh, you're the headline for 92, which is going to be exciting. I really appreciate you taking time out to come on the show, Alberta. Best wishes to you, champ. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it.